0: in terms of what's going on and what we've learned there is a general slowing down i think in terms of pace of how we create work taking care of individuals as artists as opposed to looking at them as commodities which sometimes means Stopping the process a little bit earlier when you're creating work. We need to talk about song. Somebody has to make,
1: to make
0: conversation. People talk while dancing at the
1: floor. No Hi, everybody. Uh, it's Babos, and welcome to the Friday True Community Gathering. I think this is number 91. Uh, almost consecutive. They would, I would say 91 consecutive, except we, we didn't do it on Christmas Day and New Year's Day of 2021. Crazy us. So we're here since April 17th, 2020, as a response to COVID. And we did it because we had to do it. I didn't embrace Zoom in the virtual world willingly. I had to have a a natural disaster hit the planet for me to actually go on the Zoom. What have I learned from this? I've learned that this is a perfectly viable and very important platform for all of us to get together. Uh, By having Friday Zoom gatherings every Friday since 2020, I've been able to not only bring people together in a room and meet each other and talk about what they're up to and doing and help people to feel less isolated back when we were really isolated. I think we are officially are off the mask mandate right now. I think I think it's either today or in the next couple of days. So it's really served an amazing purpose, and it's also helped True grow. I hadn't anticipated how well we would adapt to virtual, True itself, myself, and also us as a community, but we are now able to actually meet in a Zoom room and talk to people that are in Australia and Spain and England and the East Coast and the West Coast, and Lord knows you know, we're, all, we're all over. We're all over the, the globe now. And I love that. And we're not gonna stop doing that. We want to be able to offer a platform and an opportunity for people to come together from all over the world and talk about theater. So that means that we're, we're becoming less New York-centric. It's a good lesson for me. We also um, are able to change the topics a little bit now Early on, we were talking about specifically about creating during a shutdown, and we're, we're just how to cope. It was a lot of it was a how to cope. We're coming out of it now. I think we're heading into a little bit more of a normal world. I know that a lot of the shows have reopened. Um, it has not been easy. Broadway has definitely reopened. And though it has reopened, I'm not sure it has rebounded yet so we're going to talk about what's going on now in the outside world the world outside of the zoom room so i want to welcome to the screen uh, amy todoroff from the league of independent theaters in new york and carla Hope miller from the mayor's office of media and entertainment let's start just being a little basic and talk about where you work and what and what your what your companies do amy explain to us oh and by the way the topic today is politics and the arts so, so in case you had any doubts about what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about various things that are happening politically uh that are making the return of live theater viable and possible we're also going to talk about what's not happening at what, what we really need to to make happen so that we can come back to a normal world and a normal theater business and we're also going to talk about what what our role can be in all of this. We are artists and a lot of us isolate ourselves in the arts. Sometimes you gotta you gotta speak out though. Sometimes you gotta help make things happen. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that, what it means to be political. So welcome um, Carla Hoke Miller. Thank you.
2: I am not gonna I'm gonna push you back to Amy, but I just want to say um about the mask mandate. That is a New York State mandate that's being lifted not a new york city mandate. So we are still mandated to wear masks in the theater, in restaurants, in gyms, you know, it's not really any different right now. Proof of vaccination is still being insisted upon and and basically in 2 weeks the school will have the the school mandate will have an option to renew and then we'll see what hopeful says about that. But we probably what's happened most of the time during this pandemic is that we have followed suit under the state guidelines. Uh, the city has veered off for its own sake when it finds it necessary, but we are probably not far behind that.
1: Well, I just to want to say that that I'm all in favor of of uh, of the mask mandate. Uh, I I've been where I've been masking all along, and yet four weeks ago I went out with my actually legitimate medical medical mask, the, the, the 95, the N95, and didn't really interact with anybody much. Took my max, mask off when I was walking down the street and nobody was on the street. Put it back on, went to the bank, came home. Four days later, I t- tested p- positive for COVID and I was horribly ill for a day and mildly ill for another day and then fine. So everybody in this room, <laughs> I, I urge you, Especially if you have any kind of underlying medical conditions, stay with the stay with the masks for now, please. So uh, let's let's go to Amy now. Amy, <laughs> talk about lit, the League of Independent Theaters.
0: Um, the League of Independent Theater is a 501c6 political advocacy organization, and the reason I stress that is because. Uh, most of us know what it is to be a 501c3, but being a 501c6 means we are allowed to advocate for specific legislation and endorse candidates. All the things that get a little sticky when you're a 501c3. Uh, as an organization, we're allowed to sort of take that next step. We are an all volunteer organization. We represent at last count, which is constantly changing. Uh, 407 individual artists, and 259 venues. I had to check the tally of screen there, but that's the most recent. Uh, I also would like to uplift Bob's uh, words of wisdom about wearing a mask. Uh, over the holiday season, I also tested positive for COVID, and it, it was significant. I am a relatively healthy individual and I still was quite ill for a number of days and it took about a month for full recovery. So uh, trying to walk that line between really warning people to take this seriously while also encouraging people that, you know, I, I am back at it. I'm recovered and up and running. But uh, the day before I tested positive, I spent a number of hours with uh, my uh, 82-year-old colleague who kept getting very close to me and I kept having to say, push back, you know, push back, push back, and I believe it is the mask that saved him from getting very seriously sick. Um, he, he remained negative. So uh, the masking, I think, is something that uh, I know can be challenging for some audience members, but I think most audience members understand that it is a very necessary inconvenience for us all to be gathered in an intimate space together. Uh, so I as well, am a big fan of the mask mandate. And I don't think that most theaters will be lifting that uh, mandate anytime soon, even if, the New York City uh, does decide that, you know, they're going to not have such definitive rules about it. And I'm sure Carla can speak more to this. My sense is that most theaters will choose to continue to have their own rules around masking, uh, which uh, include wearing the mask and being vaccinated in the the space.
1: I just want to say that that I don't know for a fact that everybody in this room believes in in masks. And I don't know if Mm -hmm. anybody is, is, a, is an anti-vaxxer or, or, or what. There may be people out in, in YouTube who, who watch us, don't resent us for this, understand that we're yeah. we're, we're making a choice that we, we feel is best for us. And we have a hard time understanding the other side of it, just like the other side of it has a hard time understanding us. And that's basically what's wrong with the entire world is that uh, we're very defi- divided, more divided now than we ever have been, and very unwilling to grasp uh, the reality of, of the op- opposing positions, which is where politics is really gets embroiled and and hot and, and nasty. But, well, with but theater,
2: Bob, I would just say, with theater, we do have to think about the health of the performers. And every time one performer gets sick, and there's not a sub, the, the show gets canceled, and it's an ongoing problem for people in shorts. You know, short staff shortages and all kinds of equity rules. And so for us, in especially in the small theater world, when you're in an audience and you're this far away, you wanna make sure you're not the one giving something to that performer that is performing for you after all this time. So that's another uh, facet of the theater aspect of continuing to wear them.
1: And again, because I don't know who's out there watching this, I. I ask you to just open up your hearts and your minds and just just understand that we're not trying to do anything to harm you or take away your freedoms, but it's just a matter of us all living together on this planet um, in the best way possible so that, so that we don't inadvertently inflict pain on someone else.
0: I, I did want to point out that Carla has sort of elegantly brought up uh, a point of tension. That is something we all are navigating and we're all trying to navigate it with grace, but the difference between what is true and what might be best practices in the state versus what is in New York City. And I know not everyone on this call is in New York City right now. And so a lot of the things that Carla and I will talk about, because it is our knowledge base is New York City based. And so when we're talking about mask mandates in New York City, that might be very different than the reality that someone's seeing on the ground in Buffalo or in Syracuse. And I think it was very smart to bring up the fact that the mask mandate that was lifted was the state mask mandate and things just might necessarily be different in New York City. We, we see that a lot
2: actually. And with 9 million people compressed on what, 13 miles, I mean, it, it has a lot to do with density of population too.
1: Well, Carla, let's go back to, to the basic intro and let, let, let me ask you about the mayor's uh, office of media and entertainment and what you guys do there and how it might be of use to uh, the rest of us so that we can get to know you better.
2: Okay. well, um, we're the office that is kind of the industry facing office and new initiatives office considered more economic development on that side of it rather than the grant making arm, which is New York, you know, which is the Department of Cultural Affairs and some of the other offices that augment together. DOT is doing Department of Transportation is doing a lot of arts related uh, activities now with the open streets and the open restaurants. And then SAPO which in the street activities permitting office, and the citywide permits that run the open culture, which allows people to get a very inexpensive permit and perform in in uni, you know, like for consecutively, um, and, and charge a fee for tickets, and which was kind of announced when all the venues were closing down and people didn't have a way to make a living, basically. And it was a way of saying the, the city opening up something they heretofore had never done before. And so some of these things are becoming permanent, which is, uh, on the one hand, it's incredibly uh, wonderful. And those streets that would not have been activated at all have been activated by this. But it causes a lot of urban problems with um, throughways and pedestrians and bike lanes and bus lanes. And for us, with the film office being part of our office, we do the film permitting And we run the uh, broadcast station channel 25 and we have other portfolios like digital content, publishing, advertising. Um, But primarily theater was mostly, um, but anyway, it causes some problems with where the trucks are gonna park and now they're making more pedestrian malls. So it's all kind of a question of coordinating with our allies and a lot of the staff through the transition. The staff, managerial staff has stayed quite the same and the deputy mayors that have been appointed by the new, by the new mayor ha- have experience in both the Bloomberg and de Blasio administrations. There's a lot of through lines. Um, our deputy mayor for the first time has an art and culture advisor who was the chief of staff to my commissioner who's moved over there. So that's an, a direct line for us to try to get to the deputy mayor who will then inform the mayor. Uh, so it, it's a shortcut that didn't exist before. So that's exciting. So we're well, pretty l- much
1: operating. Can I, can I ask you, let's break this down a little in practical terms. So if somebody has an idea for doing a theatrical piece that is such and such, who do they go to? So we talked about street theater, we talked about the Department of Transportation. I did, actually didn't realize that, that the licenses, that we, that we have to actually go to the Department of Transportation to get licenses. How about if somebody wants to do something in parks, an outdoor theater? Who do, yeah. they, who do they turn to?
2: Now that's the Parks Department. And as you all know, I mean, for those of you that have been on this call when I've been on, and those of you that haven't, uh, that want to do something in New York City, the Parks Department also has permitting. And they weren't doing a lot of that because it was used for recreational and vocational uh, services during the pandemic, as well as tents and, you know, extended hospital beds. It was really utilitarian at that point, And they were shying away from that, which meant we needed to open the streets. And that's kind of how that started to get generated, as well as the call from groups like Lit, who have always advocated for a much more lenient and, and user-friendly way of, of taking advantage of the outdoor spaces in our city and so that could just go through me and I'll put you to the right person because basically there's a permit that is uh specific to parks department for anything in the parks the neighborhood parks um there's a borough chief of each a parks borough chief that then there's one overall special projects person that tries to coordinate all the thousands and thousands of things going on in the parks across the city. And then there's borough chiefs assigned to each borough. And so it's kind of a granular process of getting to the right person and then saying, this person needs some help with their permit. Can you help them? Can you get on a call with them? Um, try to present something that isn't so easy uh, a little more complicated, or there are more questions about. I can direct those kinds of calls.
1: i I've just had, you. You raise a question for me. Um, the, the, a little island, the new little island, um, and all of the the art that goes on there. Does one connect with them through them, or or through any of the commissions? They're,
2: they're private. They're private. So it, and I think they are actually looking for an artistic director right now, a programming director. So I'm not sure who the contact is, but I can find out who would be the best person to contact. But they're private, but I've had friends that do site-specific work that have been, um, you know, happily engaged there. And so uh, it's often through a bid or through, you know, a business improvement district or you have an advocate going in. I think the more you can do for the largest amount of public good, uh, that's why we cover festivals and cluster people that are have their regular programming at one time, and we make it into a festival. So, being paid with public funds and spending public funds, we can justify reaching out to a lot of people and helping a lot of people at once. And we try to alternate what we do constantly.
1: Amy, I think so that you have. Oh, sorry, sorry about that, Amy. I okay. think that you have the your the, your finger on the pulse of of all sorts of. Or different aspects of the arts that are going on in the city give us a little a little overview of um what people are doing and and what is if anything's changed because we've been through the two years of shutdown and people returning to old ways of doing things what's what's going on with with people
0: oh gosh uh <laughs> it's a big it's a big question
1: you can you can answer any part of that okay. that you like uh,
0: i i would like to to first of all uplift something that has been put in the chat um the little island did have an open call for submissions when it first opened and i believe that they will continue to do so periodically i know as carla pointed out the leadership is in flux but they did have a very big generous open call and you you could submit but it is uh, private which brings me to uh, a point that I think Carla also uh, was getting to and is a, a really wonderful partner for is that we think about public space in our popular imagination as just all the same thing as public space, but each public space is organized by a different department of, you know, parks department, there's some beautiful places that are run by the department of environmental protection and figuring out once you have located a space that you want to perform in particularly an outdoor space figuring out the best way to access that space can be really challenging which is why i'm going to make a quick pitch to get to know your council member and to get to know people like carla in the uh the mayor's office media entertainment. The council just uh, was, you know, we have a whole new council. There was a huge amount of turnover. And I think for the first time ever, more than half the council are brand new people. So that's exciting. But that also means that the council members stepping in that represent your district might not know you. They might not have the history with you. But if you reach out and form a relationship with them, I'll put a link in the chat that will let you know how you can find your council member, they can help guide you through things like, oh, there's this space, I wanna work in this space. Oh, is, is that a plaza? Is that a park? Is that, you know, who do I talk to? Is that part of a business improvement district? Like, how do I access that? And then they can put you in touch with wonderful people like Carla, who's always been, you know, I just gotta say such a help getting the open culture process together and created a very smooth application process, but working with the city government can be complicated. So I'm making a pitch, get to know your city council member. In terms of what's going on and what we've learned, there is a general slowing down, I think, in terms of pace of how we create work. Taking care of individuals as artists, as opposed to looking at them as commodities, which sometimes means stopping the process a little bit earlier when you're creating work and taking more time with things, um, which is just a general healthy thing for the overall environment of theater to begin with, but also just in terms of taking care of our own physical health. One of the things that we talk about quite a lot in the independent theater community is how expensive space is. And I think most people know real estate in New York is that's the number one expense on any budget. You're going to spend the most on your space, but then the added expense of you're going to need additional rehearsal time. You're going to need more time because everything is slowing down a little bit to create safer space. And we don't want to go back to rushing through a rehearsal process just to get it done. We want to continue to be careful and thoughtful and to take a little extra time to build in cushions for what if one of your cast members tests positive? You need to have maybe a few extra weeks more time in in the space to slowly ramp up and to be more flexible about things so i think that is one thing that has changed and i also think bob as you were alluding to in the beginning i think virtual theater is here to stay and i think across all levels of independent theater up to broadway people are doing wonderful creative things that embrace the virtual and live event and one thing that we've learned and that I really love saying out loud is that we've shown that streaming theater does not decrease the appetite for live theater and in fact it increases the appetite for live theater so they aren't these competing art forms they're actually complements that increase the overall appetite for people to see shows
1: that's great to hear Uh, thank you for saying that I kind of feel that way too, although I still know a lot of people who have rejected uh, the virtual medium from, from day one of, of the shutdown and still don't want to look at it. It frustrates me because they're missing so many wonderful opportunities, uh, not, not just opportunities, uh, but uh, a w- ways of developing new work that we didn't know about. I guess it's always been accessible. We just didn't know how to use it before. And I think people have learned how to use it. And I, I think it's a shame uh, if people turn away from from this in my zoom room right now i have people that are begging me to to take everything back to, to live programming and i just don't feel that that's the way to go um, my gut says uh, i i want to have some live programming but i think that staying here in the virtual uh, platform it's it's what's going to be with us for from here on it's, just, it's it just is it's, it's not going away Connor, I just want to let you know that you have permission to speak up if somebody asks a question in the in the chat that I don't see. Let's just say that, okay, what's going on with commercial theater and Broadway uh, doesn't necessarily in, uh, affect most of us uh, in terms of our careers and what we're doing. Uh, it, it is good to know anecdotally what is going on and, I, and obviously that the mask mandate is staying in, in, uh, in theater, uh, but it also is going to be staying in off-Broadway and, and showcase off-off-Broadway world. Uh, too, as far as if, if we want to be smart about it, we, we need to keep that. Is there anything else, Carla, that you would want to add to the, or either of you would like to add to the overview of what's going on in, in theater and all, all levels of theater right now, as a result of us making a transition from um, shutdown into potential for live performance? Because after that, I want to talk about politics. So let's, let's, let's do this first.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, I think Omicron threw everyone for a loop. We, we support Jan Arts NYC, which we created along with APAP and pulled in nine festivals, nine to 13, um, that are various festivals from prototype and under the radar to uh, some convenings through international groups and lots of things that were supposed to be in person. And some at the last minute in January that had scheduled things in early January canceled or postponed to the next year knew,
1: and under, under the radar under the radar was one of the, the ones that canceled it had to
2: cancel completely yeah. they couldn't pivot so i think everyone is being uh, very careful right now to move too quickly as amy was alluding to in even the development of work but also we're dealing with visas we're dealing with state regulations that vary we're dealing with travel regulations that vary across the board we're dealing with unknown variants that might be on the horizon and I think everyone is just trying to be very cautious and so the virtual piece has to keep going and I do think people have found new revenue streams with it I think that it's good for informing people it's better than just a conference call where you're talking all over each other and nobody can see who's talking or know if they don't know the voice they can't differentiate I think it's been an interesting concept there. And a lot of people are developing deeper VR experiences. And those are coming from the gaming industry, which is merging with all the multimedia. And it, I think it's always going to make for interesting theater. Um, but just as, as far as Broadway goes, it's still the safety issue is really big. The perception of uh, people coming into the city and people living in the city, in the metropolitan area, is that Times Square still is not safe. The, the thing about New York City is it's very safe because the lights are always on and there's a ton of people on the street. And that's really, I mean, the police force, of course, is essential, but it's really that that element. And there's people packed on the subways and you're not alone in a dark corner. It's something about the city that makes it uncommonly safe in that regard, considering how many people live here. So, um we're trying to get back to that. And there's some it, lots of empty retail spaces around Times Square. There's lots of empty spaces around the, in mid the Midtown particularly, but all over the city. And so there's um, a lot of initiatives that are being bounced around about how we can help. And one of the things that I'm doing right now is checking to see all the surveys that are out there, because I know there's a survey fatigue, um, trying to pinpoint what we don't know, like who fell through the cracks when they applied for this funding mechanism or this this grant, and why did they fall through? Because they had the wrong tax code number or because they weren't recognized as being part of the ecosystem of theater, like the costume shops, and trying to get in deeper and get ideas from people themselves from the industry, as we have always depended on Amy and Lit for guidance in so many areas um, all along the way, which has been amazing partnership we've had. And and also Art New York and a lot of the membership organizations that crisscross and uh, the Off-Broadway League and of course the Broadway League and, and all of the others, as well as individual artists. But it's what do you need right now? And how can we direct the resources that we might put into live productions that we've done in the past? How can we filter that in? Because we're not a grant-making arm, but we have we have initiatives that we can tailor around what people really need. For instance, during the height of the pandemic, when it first slammed uh, everyone, we were able to augment the grants that Depo- Department of Cultural Affairs was giving to the theaters that were in the areas that were the hardest, hardest hit. And so we, they were small grants, but we were able to give 25 of them out, $10,000 grants, to supplement what Department of Cultural Affairs was giving. And those groups are the ones that are historically getting smaller grants to begin with they're getting smaller amounts of money. And you know, because we have a new administration, we have new borough presidents as well as new council people, it's uh it's going to be an education on all of our parts to tell them who we are, why we're important and what we expect. And part of that is is really letting them know that this theater world is not just Broadway as people coming in may that, think.
1: That's the that's the problem. I and mean, we have a new mayor who who is wholeheartedly some support of the of the arts but he only sees as far as Broadway he doesn't we're gonna see... teach
2: him his people know his, yeah. his people that work for him know though so we'll get to him
1: I want to uh, jump on something that that was we mentioned before a bit was basically the importance of virtual uh, for the ongoing development and, and nurturing of, of theater and new works so uh, Amy uh, you, you may know you may know more about this than, than I do I have the basic Belief that I've learned in the past year and a half that you do things a little different when you're doing theater virtually, and, and we, without getting into the discussion of if it's on if it's virtual, is it theater? If it's not live, is it theater? Let's let's not go there yet. Um, but considering that you want to develop something, uh, my belief and my understanding and what I've learned is that you really need to involve a technologist, somebody who understands the, the technology from from day one. I do know some people who who want to do things live they want to do readings live and we've done that we've done that too so there's basically two ways of going you can actually jump in take a chance that your wi-fi is not gonna not gonna fail and and do a live something that's live which is you normally would be a reading i guess or you can record things and then in post-production you can edit it into what is essentially is it's film theater in, in your experience uh, Who's who's doing what? I mean, are people split about that, or is 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 there a is there a trend in, in one way or the other?
2: Bob,
0: I gotta say, since the pandemic began, I have done projects that tick every single one of those boxes. I've directed a uh, brilliant project uh, for Cope, which is an organization that uh, works with bereaved youth, and we. Filmed a live play over Zoom. We we performed it, but then recorded it live and broke it into segments uh, to use for drama therapy. I I've directed staged readings, staged readings over Zoom, and I've I've done a live performance. I'm working on a few live staged readings uh, that will go up at the chain and with Emerging Artist Theater uh, coming up in the next month. So
1: Say, say hi happening. to Paul for me. <laughs>
0: it's, it's all happening. And I think like most artists, we, we pick up the tools that are in front of us. There are some projects, um, the, the project with COPE that I told you about with the bereaved youth would not wor- have worked as well as a one-off Zoom reading. But we were able to use this technology in a way that will serve in you know, ongoing into the future. But... I really feel like this is not a matter of having to choose one or the other. There's always evolving technology. Uh, I think that there's always more considerations when the, when more technology comes uh, into what is available to artists, then that opens up things like screen managers. That is a job that didn't exist two years ago. And now it is a whole discipline. People are specializing it. Um, So I think that it's just a matter of choosing the medium that works best for the thing you want to do. Uh, Sometimes, as you've proven, you can have an incredible reach by doing something virtually. And uh, I know people who have participated in virtual theater festivals all over the world during the pandemic. Uh, But I also know people who absolutely will not do their plays in this medium because it doesn't serve them. So we're all artists. We use the tools we have.
1: Okay. So the, what we could basically say is that the toolbox is bigger than it's ever been. And yes. it's it's available for all of us to use if we choose to or, or not. And you're also saying that, that you can work in any number of ways on in virtual medium, um, mm-hmm. live or recorded or a combination of both. So I, I hope everybody. Knows that when you when you decide you're going to do a project and you start thinking about how you're going to do it, you have a lot of choices now. So uh, just think of it as having a lot of choices. I, I get frustrated with my friends who just never want to see. They just never want to go and do anything on Zoom. They never want to go into a Zoom room. Look at us now. I mean, look at the the 37 of us are in the room right now. It's it's not such a bad thing. <laughs> I don't think it's such a bad thing. I guess the people who think it was a bad thing have already left. So so. Let's let's turn for a second to the whole issue of advocacy and politics. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a pol- a political person by nature, um, and yet running a not-for-profit, uh, I can't I can't be as overtly political as as my instincts might want me to be otherwise. Um, so you had talked about 501c6 versus 501c3. Hi, I'm a, I'm a 501c3. Hello, 501c6. Tell, tell us what you can do that I can't do.
0: We can endorse candidates, which is a big thing. We can flat out say, I endorse this candidate. You should vote for this candidate because this candidate is an arts-friendly candidate and has uh, expressed a desire to support our community. That is something that you really can't do as a 501c3. We can... Also host events, political events that are purely political, meet the candidates forums. We can speak directly to candidates and say, this is what I want. I want direct artist pay to go, <laughs> you know, I, I want uh, access to space, Like I, I want this legislation. We can go so far as to say this piece of legislation intro 1796 commercial rent stabilization that will help theaters and so we want you to sign on to it we endorsed you now we expect you to support the legislation that we have identified that will help uh our community i'm sorry there's a it's new york it's just
1: it's just ambient <laughs> noise I, I would put it into the background sound soundscape if, if it weren't there so it's okay
0: and we can also, um, as Carla knows well, we can work with city agencies to, in some cases, propose legislation and say we we think this is a good idea, or if not legislation, a program, and say, hey, we've found this this hole in the net. How can we help knit that hole together, and then work with organizations and de- departments, I guess, like the mayor's office and of media and entertainment, to help shore up those the net. I have to say that there's so much love in the chat for the the city artist corps and that was such a successful program and i'm certainly not saying that that lit made that happen but organizations like lit who are advocates who got together in zoom rooms and said what what do we really really need and came up with bullet points with our shared knowledge and got those bullet points to people like Carla, who I know worked hard on it. And even though that was a grant program that came through DCLA, I know that she was very active in making sure that that came together in a way that was accessible to as many people as possible. We can do that. Whereas uh, if I was, was running my own theater company I could go to my council member and say, "Hey, we would really like discretionary funds," and I could ask for grants from the DCLA, but I couldn't. I couldn't advocate for specific legislation. I couldn't endorse a specific candidate for office.
1: I just want to say that when I had Eric Botcher, and also I had <laughs> other candidates for city council on different different panels, yeah. our conversation was never about directly about politics. It was basically about. I was able I was able to have them I think because I I wasn't implying that I was en- endorsing Eric as a candidate. I was just having him with other people like Carlitz talk about what needs to happen politically, uh, what are some programs that that we might want to see happen and I think it was a relatively gentle conversation. And not ob- not overtly uh, endorsing any anyone. If I'm wrong, somebody better tell me because I'm going to do it again because I plan on having Julia Menon and, and Eric Botcher back for for a conversation about what's going on with the arts and what needs again what needs to happen, and, what, what and is why possible. Julie
2: would be why Julie would be so so perfect. And I know Amy is is good friends with her and had a colleague of hers for a long time as well, and uh, she was the commissioner of our office for about a year, and we got all kinds of things that had been languishing off. And started and fire under them and Amy was a large part of that too and her uh, advocacy work for the things that we did but it's um, she has been appointed the uh, the head of the committee for small businesses and we are advocating every single day that theater is a small business and so it's a huge boon to have her and I told her we were doing the survey and she wants to do a roundtable after and we'll probably do a report that follows that's not unlike the 2019 report that we commissioned to find out exactly where we are and how things are different. And models from all over the world have appeared one of the things, you know, to virtual. We've really been able to, to tap into what other cities and states and countries are doing. And even though our political makeup is very different like i wish we were more like london i wish we had national theater and i wish we had subsidies and i wish we had the dole because we saw that a lot of people were much better off and isn't that what we want but anyway that's simplifying very complicated stuff but i do think that what what one of the things that amy is talking about that has made her group so incredibly effective is their tough questions they ask the candidates we get to sit in and listen to what they're saying and try to uh, help formulate a, a city policy that is more inclusive of the things that come up and also pay attention very closely to their answers to see if they really are committed and, and to find out if they're for real about the things. And then we can task them with that later and say, we I was at this meeting and I heard you say this and what are you gonna do? Let's do this together. But it also to give Government ideas coming from you, bullet point, simplified. I mean, the white paper that NEVA did was the whole reason that shuttered venues happened. They were smart enough to pull their members together, get it done on their own, figure out what they wanted to message, and then get it to the right people, message it out so that those people could leverage the messaging across city, state, um, funding, foundations, uh, you know, across the board, all the way up to the federal
1: level i have one gripe that's been with me for a long time it bothers me i mean i I understand that that politicians are doing things that that are supportive and and useful for for us as 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 an arts business i never hear them talk about the arts it drives me crazy i listen to speech after speech about everything that needs to happen and all the problems that we're having and and this and that the closest thing i ever hear to a a conversation where a politician is acknowledging the arts is, it always winds up being Broadway. And I- Or tourism. Or or tour, well, tourism, which- I mean, that's making them
2: pay attention now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So how do we have politicians to embrace what we do enough so that it's second nature of them to mention it when they're talking about what's what's right or wrong with, with, with the world? Amy, you're nodding.
0: So what what do you have to say? I'm nodding because this is so much of what any advocacy organization does, but particularly what Lit does, uh, which Lit was founded in uh, 2008. And the the main goal was just, we just want a politician to say indie theater. That's it. That's all we want. I am going to push back a little bit on you, Bob. I, I've heard uh, Eric Botcher will talk about the arts. It, uh, it's starting to come up. It is. But that's, because I, that's because
1: I had this conversation with him.
0: Well, he <laughs> was Corey's guy, too. He was Corey's yeah. chief
2: of staff. So.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so this, but this is that is the answer. You're having conversations with him. So then he will go on Pix 11 to talk about the economy. And one of the things that will come up for him when talking about revitalizing the economy is indie theater and how theater will, like a a small business, like a mom and pop, it increases healthy street traffic. It puts money right back into the economy. We've gotten over time, uh, every mayoral candidate to to say the phrase Mm -hmm. indie theater. And many of them will talk about how indie theater is an economic anchor for their neighborhood. We are really pushing forward the idea, as Carlos said, that theaters are small businesses, particularly mom and pop theaters, and that the smaller theaters are important. Broadway, super important. Smaller theaters are also important because they tend to service a neighborhood. Uh, And whatever neighborhood they are in, they raise the overall economic profile and they, are able to provide art at a price point that is much more accessible to a large number of people. Uh, so you've shown how it works. This is the the link. We just, you have more conversations. You you talk to your council member, you go to every meeting you can. And if you say it three or four times, then your council member will start to repeat it back and it will yep. start to be a priority for them. But also as Carla- Sound bites. <laughs> we will we will give them we're, good we're hammering
2: we've been hammering for like 40 years on this but yeah. but but, no, but, but everybody in the room
1: we're we're really talking to each one of you all, yeah. all 30 33 of you that are here with us right now it's important that you talk about it and get get the word out get to know like you like you said get to know your account your city council members and and other people mm-hmm. that are—that—that's—that's uh, that's the thing. I think a lot of us are intimidated. We're afraid. We're afraid to call a politician. Where it's like, oh, they don't want to hear from me. They may not, but you know what? <laughs> you call them anyway. Well, See, this is what you should is, call yeah. them.
2: Is you—you you should say they're government workers. Mm-hmm. There the, are very few that are real politicians. The ones that go all the way through and go up but there are a lot of local government people that work in city government it's like a, a you know 370,000 people in this city that work in city government and that includes fire and and police and sanitation and all of the the huge enterprises as well but that's a you know that's a lot and and the representation especially with new york and the in the in the way that it thinks about city government most of the people in city government have a really wide background of experience and lots of different levels, lots of different cultures, lots of different upbringings and schooling and education. And it takes all kinds. It's almost like the fabric of the city is really represented in in the government people. So the people that are the politicians, they're gonna be stepping stones and moving along and going up uh, to whatever their final goal is. But there are a lot of people that once they're through with city government, They'll go into the foundation world and do a lot of good because of the networking and the people that they know and the contacts they've made and the issues that they understand. So they are very approachable. They are love attention or they wouldn't be elected officials. Right. <laughs> so they so they will respond to you because they have to. You are paying our salaries. And we have we can't say, Oh, I'm not gonna take that phone call. And if they do, you just keep you find a way in, and just let me know, and I'll get you to talk to them.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there are a lot of comments I would in there. that.
2: Most, as Carl pointed out, most of the
0: people in city government are city government workers. They're there because they care. They're. It's not a glamorous job, and they actually really do want to hear from you. Nothing makes a council member happier than a constituent coming up to them and saying, "Hey, I have a problem. Can you help me?" And then them being able to help you, give them a call. They love it.
1: I have to tell you, that's so true. Um, before I moved to, to where I am Actually, now, the I, new I lived, Before I moved to where I am now, I lived on 104th Street. I was right down the street from Danny O'Donnell. That office, I just had to like so, say a word, and all of a sudden they were like on it. They, they, anything I asked them to do, they would they would do. They would bend over backwards to help me. Um, So, yeah, I I think that that all of us need to know that 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 when we call these offices, a lot of us think that we're going to get the the runaround, but uh, most of them really do want to help us. So I'm going to and they have
2: a, a big budget and they have a big impact on the city budget. So it's you can ask. They have discretionary funds. They have money. They can move things around. They can change a lot.
1: Well, the, key the, the key, the key, figures we all should know is we need, we need to know our, our city council member for the district that we're in, and for me it, it was uh, the state assembly. Danny Donald, Danny O'Donnell, was the state assembly man for, for New York, and um, mm-hmm. he was very helpful. Their office was yeah. always very helpful. So let's not be afraid of politicians there and
2: community <laughs> board too is very local and and whenever you do an event somewhere on an on an open culture street or an open street and you're in another borough doing it we always advise um that you talk with your local business improvement district that controls that area and also um the uh community board so that they know what you're doing because they're the first ones to say let me send out flyers let me reach out to all my constituents and tell them to come to your event and you know it's and and it's also just kind of a neighborhood grace Um, and that's happened a lot since the streets have been opened up it's it's opened up a lot of uh, formerly more closed doors, I think.
1: Well, I just found out what well, Connor's not reading all questions to me. He's not here. So I have to go, <laughs> I have to go check the, the, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people are talking about. There haven't been a lot of, of questions. Oh, you are here. I couldn't find you.
0: No, there, there haven't been a, lot, a whole lot of, a lot of really good discussion about sort of considering uh, art as as commerce.
1: Yeah, I wanted to pull some of those out and, and have have uh, Amy and and Carla address them. Yeah. Like Catherine Keats says, politicians don't consider artwork or artists people who contribute to the workforce, so they do not speak to us because they because do they really need our vote? But art is work, and I know that you, I know that you have already talked uh, to trying to convince her otherwise. But do you want to do you want to say anything else to, to Catherine about this? Or do you feel do you feel that do you feel that that's that that's that that's there's some truth in what she's saying? Politicians well, don't consider artwork to support
2: artwork? the arts. Could be people working backstage in a the theater, scenic designers. You know, so the people that we are running workforce programs to encourage more inclusion and diversity in those areas, front and back and center of all the arts and the stages. And we're seeing the heads of institutions change now. We're seeing they're pulling. You know, younger people that have been trained and in paid training programs that we've funded are pulling in their peers and their colleagues to then become the new ones, the new workers that come in. So so I think that there are changes brewing. It's, it's actually been pushed forward the way that virtual and technology has been pushed forward by the pandemic. So have these changes that were just languishing in the sidelines and people saying, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Well, there's not really a choice not to act anymore. And so I think it's all becoming visible in a lot of different levels. And we also know that there's big staff shortages. There's people that, you know, are, are gonna be uh, kind of coming into industries at a higher level than they would if they had to compete with a lot, you know, with thousands of other people that wanted the same job. So they're got they'll kind of it's it's a hardship because they demand higher pay. We want that for them, but we know it's a hardship for for people that are strapped already and and companies. But um, I think that there is an awareness that there is an art maker and a theater maker and the people behind that are are creating new industries and new jobs that new generations will come into just to keep New York what it is. So I think there is a recognition of that. I don't know, Amy, if you think...
0: I wanted to pull back up the idea that, you know, you talked about your office is doing a survey and yeah, we all have survey fatigue, but it is so important because as you mentioned that economic impact report from 2019, that was before the pandemic. And even then this report that your office commissioned, I have to look over at my stats, 1.3 1.3 billion dollars in economic output is created for this city by small theater alone that's not even talking about the whole sector that's just talking about the mom and pop the uh, theaters and having uh, an economic impact report for after the covid crisis would be an incredibly useful tool to be able to say hey our sector is incredibly valuable. And if you want these neighborhoods to thrive, you need to start investing back into our industry so that our industry can lift up these neighborhoods as well. But I also think, as Carla mentioned, there's a real movement towards thinking of artists as arts workers. The City Artists' Core grant was, I think, a great first step. And one of the things that's really encouraging is that at least from what we're hearing and the feedback we're getting, it's sort of a universally loved program. I have not heard a single negative, no council member, no politician has said "Eh, it wasn't great. Everybody has said this is a win for everyone. So if we could get some momentum behind that by expanding the City Artist Corps grant, expanding it to potentially venues uh, so that venues can access a City Artist Corps grant as well, because right now it is tailored specifically for individual artists, which we mm-hmm. love, and that is great. And we would never want to lose that aspect of it. Uh, but then maybe also moving into space grants, uh, all kinds of things that the city could do. And I do feel like there is some momentum. Somebody, again, uh, the chat is so strong. Someone pointed out that we do sort of have a moment. I think people have realized during the pandemic how much artists do contribute to our, not just our mental health and our spiritual health and our, our neighborhoods and our culture and our society, but, but our economic health as well. And so there's so, so much happening in my space. I hope nobody else can hear that, but no. um, good. I, I think that this, there is a real opportunity to push forward this idea of artist workers arts organizations are small businesses. Because politicians understand that. They understand that small businesses are a powerful sector. And if we can get their ear and keep talking to them, this is part of the education component, an entire, uh, basically the whole new city council is new. So, So we need to talk to all of them as much as we possibly can. And even just saying, hey, I'm an artist, I live in your district, I need you to support arts is a useful thing as well.
1: I will say that my conversations with Eric Botcher, he has expressed a, a deep love of the arts. He doesn't look at it just as a business and just as commerce. And uh, although I do agree that that it's probably smart for us to be able to talk about it from the business point of view for, for politicians, um, I don't want to give up on the, on the possibility that there are a, an mm-hmm. ample number of politicians who have deep a deep passion for the arts and a, and a love for what we do. I'm sure they're there. <laughs> I haven't met a lot of them, but I'm sure they're there. Let's see what else, what else comes comes in. So it's terribly annoying, however, they are absolutely right, learning to speak political speak to show that we are just as economically impactful as other small businesses. And even having to ingratiate oneself to the political leaders when they were on the opposite political viewpoint from ourselves, it's still important. Yeah, I mean, I think basically what we're all, sort of leaning towards agreeing about is that art is wonderful art is our passion we all, we all love the arts everyone who's here loved the arts uh, and it would be nice if that were enough and with some people that when we talk about the arts it, it strikes an emotional chord with them but if we are avail- if we are a, a, aware of the business component, if we're aware about the, of the statistics uh, that make that make this a commercial, um, commercially viable as well as artistically viable business, um, we have a better chance of being heard by by politicians who might not listen otherwise. So, yeah. and, and of course, true. Here, here I am. I run an organization that basically focuses on the business side of the arts, anyway. So I shouldn't have any I shouldn't have any trouble with this with this idea at all.
0: So, so many elected officials that we will have meetings with, we just ha- take a meeting because we want to get to know them and we want to press them on our agenda. And then one of the first things that comes out of their mouth is, I love the arts, the arts means so much to me. I just don't know how to support it. I don't know what, everybody wants to support the arts. So it is up to us to tell them how. But then other times we will meet with somebody who we think we have absolutely nothing in common with And then we'll find out that the one thing they really care about is, um, recidivism and the jail system and, uh, fixing that pipeline and talking to them about how art can do that. So sometimes it's just a matter of being smart and thinking about what, you know, that politician really cares about and showing them how art is valuable to that. But, for the most part, you know, you really just need to, to tell your politician or your, your representative, I'm an artist. I live in your district. This is what I want. And you don't even need to come up with the solution to your problem. It's their job to help come up with the solution. But If you reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I run a space and I'm having problem with Con Ed, I should be getting nonprofit rates and I'm not getting them that's what your city council member can do for you there's a million other examples but you know you don't need to be, have the answer you just need to reach out to them and let them know that you're here i gotta i i, yeah. I if i may uh hi guys uh, <laughs> um, hi connor hi hi uh, connor hi. Um, <laughs> so glenn borders had a question uh, about independent producers who work with theaters, but sort of are act as, as their own entities, and, and he's he's wondering about that.
1: I guess that's, I guess the question is how do how does he how does he as an independent producer fit into the small business uh, model that you were you were talking about? I, I think he does. I think that, that that if you if you're if you're an independent producer first of all you should you should have an llc or something or some sort of entity that that, that separates you out as as an actually active business mm-hmm. if you don't consider doing that but nevertheless as an independent producer you're creating an uh, an opportunity and John Lant will will testify to this too you're you're creating you're creating opportunities of employment for a lot of people so I think that we're going back to one of the basic premises of small business. It's, it's, it's an, it's a, an entity that offers work to other people um, and offers the possibility of of there being income and commerce that's happening around you. So sure. Sure. I think you can consider yourself a small business. Carly, can you clarify what I'm saying more?
2: yeah well, I think one of the things to note too, in the report we did in two thousand and nineteen was that there's seven hundred and fifty theater organizations. and we did include off-Broadway all the way down to indie theaters. And there are six hundred theater companies at that time, and there were i think one hundred and fifty five venues and and so it was it was split in a way that a lot of those are individual artists that were putting things together. And one of the things that we have tried to do is promote their work. And so, Um, when we had done All New York's a Stage promotion, where we, we listed everybody that had something going on in October, and if they didn't have anything going on, we still listed their website and tried to draw people to their neighborhood theaters and recognize that they walked by them every day, but they didn't go in. And we think there's been a lot of play. People are going, really going to see a lot of things locally now, especially with the pandemic, where the center is kind of not the center in the same way. But I do think producers have a particularly hard time. I did hear something really interesting. I'm going to look into. Glenn, you'll be interested to know. There there used to be, apparently in the 60s and 70s, there was a city in, incentive for high-risk industries where they would give either a tax credit or actually some kind of rebate. Something that was somewhat considered generous to people that were like people that were investing in high risk areas and it kind of gives me an idea i'm going to look into what existed and think about it as shaping something we might do for all of theater is high risk and all the people that risk it are doing it in a way that is providing employment which is providing um, you know we can promote the finished product and we can promote like the women's fund which actually helps people apply to finish their their work if they haven't finished it and and things like that but I think I think there needs to be some kind of we're not going to get a national program at this point but I do think that that could be something will we can now work with the state and niska and the foundations and the federal government it seems to me that we could come up with some kind of leveraging of programs that would uh, pay attention to those really significant, the importance of those significant skill sets and, and the work that, that you all are doing out there. When you feel you're just in a vacuum, if you can pull together a group of independent producers, I, I know that there's the women's group that uh, has been pulled together, the women in WIFG group, and there's th- 37 members I think now that meet weekly and started during the pandemic with seven people. And they talk about the same kind of issues Glenn, I don't know if you'd be able to join. Um, I think you might have to start the men's side of that and then come join the two. But it is they talk about the same kind of issues of, of you know, how do we, how do producers keep producing when there's not much support for them through grants and, and other systems.
1: And just for FYI, there there is a League of Independent Producers in London, which basically is exactly what what Carl is suggesting that w- that we do here. So you're you're lit, and they're lit. So <laughs> so there we go. Um, I've kept I've kept you here longer than than I said I was going to keep you. I, I hope you that you're okay about that, and I hope that you know how much I appreciate you being with us both both of you, Amy and and Carla. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up now. This is my wind up speech, so I want to just say to everybody here, thanks for being with us today. I hope you'll come with it and join us next week. For the next two weeks, we're gonna actually be talking about musicals for for those those handful, those, those slightly like <laughs> small group of you that love musicals, which is like everybody. So we're gonna be talking about them next week with Joe Barrows of New York Theater Barn and also Aaron from um, uh, Aaron Sally from um, musical theater. Factory, And then the following week, we're going to talk about production opportunities that are offered by Main Street Musicals with Tim Jerome and uh, NMI, uh, which is John Sparks. I have things also planned for March. I'll tell you about them later. Hope to see you next week, hope to see you in two weeks. Uh, Thank you for being with us. Um, Also, uh, we do a lot of what we do for free and where we offer it because we're we're in a time of struggle for so many people. Um, Happy to have you come for free would be, also be, be very appreciative of anybody who would give a donation to True, uh, It's truedonate.com. It's T R U donate.com And uh, go there and give us what you can if you can and help us keep running. That's it for tonight. And I might go cook dinner. And so everybody come into the room and thank Carla and Amy um, for being with us. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Thank you all. It's great to see everybody.
1: We need to talk about song. We need to talk about songs. We need to talk about songs. We need to talk about songs. We, we need to talk about anything. cast.